This is a CNIB Foundation podcast. Because Braille. Hi, welcome back to Because Braille. I'm Rhonda Underhill Gray, and I'm in the studio today with Sue Vale, who is not only an adult Braille learner, but is someone who has embraced the idea of teaching other adults how to use Braille. Welcome to the studio, Sue. Thank you, Rhonda. It's nice to be here. So, Sue, so let's start a little bit by telling your story. You were an adult who needed to learn Braille, so let's start from there. Wow. Uh, let's see. I was born a diabetic, type 1, so that's the best way to start this story for me because my sight loss really is due to uh, diabetic retinopathy and the complications of diabetes, really. Um, what can I say? A number of years ago, I started developing those lovely little fine blood vessels, and I ended up with a heart problem. Got some heart stents. And then later on, I ended up having a stroke. Lovely. The eyes had already had a problem. I'd been having lasering. Eh, okay, fine. So it sort of moved on. Uh, the stroke was not such a little thing. I, uh, I spent a number of years trying to actually be able to say my name again or walk, but I did manage my way through it. Unfortunately, when I started getting my brain back, I realized that I really wasn't seeing very well and that it just didn't feel right. I wasn't connecting the things in my brain to my eyes, and I really thought it was my brain. Push comes to shove, going to several specialists, I ended up finding out that there was a big problem and that the oxygen to the optic nerve had been cut off during my stroke. And it was a progressive thing and I was told point blank, your eyesight is going to be gone within the next two years. Well, I wasn't quite ready for that. Uh, I'm an artist. Um, I've always been very creative. I've always really appreciated my eyes in whatever form or fashion I'd had. And I had lost some of my vision, but not that much. At that point, I ended up having a small little operation because I had a little problem with one eye, and they figured, ah, that we can fix this in about five minutes. Unfortunately, five minutes became a lifetime of lost vision in that eye because I ended up with an infection in the operating room. Yes, folks, it does happen. And uh, so I ended up blind in one eye, with the sentence on the other eye being that it was going to be gone quite soon, and the automatic reaction after I sat down in the basement in front of my big screen TV and moped for about 10 minutes, was CNIB. I wonder if they deal with people who aren't blind yet, or do I have to wait until I can't see anything? Well, I got on the phone and I called. And I said, this is my situation, and I'm really quite scared, and I don't know what to do. And, you know, if I have to sit here and listen to my big screen TV for the rest of my life, I probably don't want to be here breathing at all. There are so many things that I am doing, want to do, still want to be a part of, and if I can't do that, I don't want to be here. Well, luckily for me, I was introduced to what I call my inside guy and my outside guy. Within a very short period of time, uh, two different people from the CNIB came, one to help me navigate my world and try to organize my house so that it was safe for me and be able to use things like kitchen knives safely. 
how to get up and down the stairs in my house, how to label things or at least put bump dots on things like an oven or uh, the stove so I would know when I was turning on an electrical appliance what I was turning it to. Uh, being able to function, not just be able to make a sandwich and turn on my TV, which I really appreciated. The other fellow actually came and he taught me my orientation skills, which was kind of funny in the beginning. There was no way I was going to use a cane, and uh, I was quite happy tripping every once in a while. Unfortunately, it soon became a, a matter, of course, that I really needed to have that cane, and I started practicing outside at night when nobody could actually see me. I got to a point where I needed the cane. I realized I needed the cane. I actually named it Fido so I could pretend it was a dog because um, it went everywhere I went. And it became a part of my life. I didn't do very well with it, but it became a part of my life. And it was kind of nice to be able to, you know, reach out and poke things with it. That was, uh, I figured I was probably the mentality of a five-year-old anyway, so why not play with a stick? And that was caused from the effects of the stroke. That's true. <laughs> okay. Horrible sense of humor back then. I really couldn't think too many moves ahead. So why Braille? How, how did you get from this person who was kind of thinking, I'm not sure I want to even go on, to being someone who made a conscious decision to learn Braille as an adult? It's actually quite funny, and I'm surprised that I was taught, because at the, the time that um, I was finishing up learning about my house and how to organize it, I was asked, is there anything else you want to learn? Because we've done everything right now that you need in order to, you know, get by. And I said, well, I have to learn Braille. And he said, why? And I said, well, all blind people read Braille. Why shouldn't I be reading Braille? I want to read my books. I want to, I, I, I want to know what's going on out there. I mean, there's, there's so much out there. Why shouldn't I? And he said, well, that makes sense. He said, but you might have some difficulty. And I said, it doesn't matter. I need to do this. Um, I've been through university. I've done a lot of learning. I have no problem. I will learn. Of course, I constantly forgot that I had an IQ of about 30 at that point. And the biggest problem for me was really my short-term memory was actually clocked by the specialist at about 30 minutes. So after 30 minutes, I forgot everything I had said. Um, I would forgot everything I tried to learn. And actually, um, my partner had been told by the neurologist that basically I would never be able to learn anything again because I would never have the memory to be able to build on the things that I started to learn. He said it would be an absolute miracle if I ever got anywhere beyond what I had right now. But something very interesting started to happen. Well, aside from the fact that I was very determined, which I suppose you really needed to be, I think that anything that is that good for you, anything that you want that bad, you need to work towards it or it's not worth it. For me, every day I started off at A and I did all of the lessons that I needed to do. And I only did four letters at a time. In the beginning, it was only two letters at a time. But um, the next day I would start again at A and I would work at it all day long. It became my full-time job. About 18 hours a day, I did Braille until, miraculously, I started to remember B 
because I had done it so many times that the short-term memory became long-term memory. And my brain found a different way to learn. And the longer I did it, the better it got. And the smarter I got, the faster I got. And what I found by the time I hit probably M in the alphabet, that I was starting to think better and I was starting to put things together and that I was starting to get what I called that blackboard back in my, my head, that, that working piece of memory that when you're trying to put, say, two letters together or two numbers together in order to add them, you see those numbers in your head and work out the solution to that. Well, I didn't have a blackboard. So trying to memorize things was almost impossible. And I found that all of a sudden I could put those images in my head and that was a working piece of memory that I could keep on going back to. And so is your theory that feeling the dots under your finger actually helped to reorganize your brain patterns? Yes, totally different. It uses a part of your brain that as a sighted person, you rely on your eyes so much that you don't actually, you don't have to work at it. Whereas for me, I had to put my fingers on a page and it was tactile. And for me, I had to have my fingers become my eyes. My brain learned a different way of seeing. And so it actually forced it to use a part of itself that it's not used to using. Well, they say that cats' brains rewire after a stroke or that kind of thing. Do you kind of think it's something like that? I think so. I mean, you're constantly creating new pathways. Your brain tries to heal itself as best it can. And in this case, I just learn to literally have a visual sense with my fingers. I'm seeing it inside of my head. So I can actually see those dots when I'm touching them. I can make the connection of what I feel on my fingers to what I know things are. It's really quite interesting. And putting that together with the sight that I used to have, it's like having sight only that much more. It's very, it's very full. It's very refreshing for my brain. So your belief in, in how this worked and how it helped you move forward actually encouraged you to take on another really interesting <laughs> project. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, interestingly enough, um, I went through, I went through my, my grade one Braille learning sessions. And in the process, I did so much work on it that I became very good at it. And uh, I was quite proud of that. I, I worked very hard. It only took me maybe eight weeks to do. And I actually was asked if I could help some other people, if I would be interested in helping some other people who are learning Braille, because I took to it so easily and I took to it so fast with such passion that they thought, maybe I can do it for somebody else. What I found was I had a number of people. I was volunteering as a teaching aide, basically. And um, what I found was the people who had the difficulty similar to mine where there was memory loss or there was a difficulty in actually processing information or using it in a different way, that if I used myself as a guinea pig basically and said, well, what are the things that worked for me? And I would say to them, this may not work. This may not work for you. It worked for me. But why don't we give it a shot? We can do any number of learning techniques you want and we'll just keep on trying till it works. And I found that with one particular person, that was the first one it worked with, who had very similar, I mean, she had, she had emotional issues, she had sleeping issues, she had memory issues, she had spatial issues, and she had been trying for seven years to learn Braille. And they 
basically turned to me and said, we basically, we're just friends. We, we just give some time, we do some things with her, but she never remembers any of this. And I said, let me try. And we tried. And after she started remembering a letter or two, she started getting excited. And I'll tell you, basically, the mood was not really good with this woman. She had been miserable. She had been shut in for a long time, and she really felt of no value. And when she started learning the Braille, and it started clicking, and she started remembering it, she started feeling better. She started feeling like she was capable of doing something. And the better she felt, the harder she worked, the better it was. When we finally got to the end of that alphabet, and she was reading like a real champ, it was amazing. It was incredible to see the change in her entire personality, in her functioning, in her memory. It worked for her the way it worked for me. She had a whole new life, and I'll tell you something. I know her to this day, and it's kind of hard to catch up to her because she's involved in so many different <laughs> groups and going to movies and going out to dinner. It's, it's an amazing thing. And I understand that she's now learning to use her iPhone. Yes, and uh, I'll tell you something. When you are, what do you call them, an octanagerian, uh, when you are of an older age, we'll just put it that way because I'm not a young puppy either, um, it's very hard to deal with that technology. And she felt comfortable enough to just dive in and say, okay, what does this do? And be able to listen to it and be able to try it and just have the guts to try something, which is something that she really, she lost that ability to be able to reach out and try something different and fail if she had to, but get up again and try again. So you feel that she was able to reach out and start to embrace some of the technology because of Braille and because oh. her ability to reconnect those synapses in the brain. Oh, yes, for sure. She's got friends. She's, she's doing things. She's, she's learning things. I mean, it didn't just, it didn't end with Braille. It's continuing. She has learned to play cards and do all sorts of things. And how old is she? She is, well, she's close to 80 now. All because of Braille. Yep, all because of Braille. It's an incredible thing. So can you tell me a little bit about your perceptions? Uh, you grew up with normalized sight, so to speak, mm -hmm. until a certain age. Did you know anything about Braille before you needed to use Braille? And what were your perceptions of who used Braille and what was it? Well, that's interesting. I mean, growing up, there definitely was, there was no indication that Braille even existed. Um, it was not seen. But then again, this was a time period. I'm, I'm not the youngest person <laughs> okay. in, the, in the room, that's for sure. But um, basically... Any type of disability really wasn't seen, wasn't talked about. It wasn't until much later when, lo and behold, I went into an elevator and these funny bumps on it. I remember doing that. I was going to a doctor's appointment and there were these weird bumps on the elevator. And I'm like, well, that's kind of neat. I wonder what they mean. And so I decided that, you know, this backwards L shape and whatever those other bumps were meant, oh, that means floor number whatever. And so I tried to learn them. I've tried to remember them. I thought they were really cool. And I'm like, okay, so these things. And I asked around and it was like, oh, these things are for the blind people. I'm like, oh, okay. So this is how they read. Well, that's kind of weird. How come they don't have like writing everywhere? I, I only saw in an elevator. And later it was on a bathroom. And, and later I saw it on, you know, office plaques. It was, it was actually kind of interesting. I'm like, 
It's a weird way of reading, but, I mean, I suppose if you wanted to spend 400 years reading something, you could. It would be so much easier to just look at it and say, oh, this is room number 238. Oh, I guess I can't do that, I thought. And that was it. I mean, I never really thought about it. And then when the eyes went, or the eyes were going to go, I'm like, oh, God, who do I talk to? Where do I go? What do I do? Eyesight was everything to me. Well, being an artist, that would make sense. So speaking about your ability as an artist, what do you think in using all of the Braille techniques? And I've seen you do some pretty interesting things. What would you say your biggest Braille accomplishment (laughs) has been? (laughs) (laughs) Biggest Braille accomplishment? I don't think I've had it yet. Okay. Well, Uh, up to this point. Up to this point? Well, I don't know. Um... I, I spent some time as an intern with the CNIB, and I really wanted to put my focus, I, I was actually, my focus was in Braille, so I wanted to put my focus into bringing that Braille to people around me and making it actually something that people were aware of and that they were interested in and they thought it was really cool. Uh, for me, it was you have to have an interest in order to even start learning. And basically what I saw was if I can get it out there and I can make it easy to use, then somebody's going to want to use it. And that was where the first idea came from of doing a board with basically Velcro spaces on it so you could take the dots of the Braille cell and you could move them around. And you could write anything you wanted on this board, and it was large. So you could come up, you could feel this board, and you could feel what it said, and you could change what it said at any given point just by pulling something off the Velcro and putting something else on. It seemed a very easy way to be able to have a sign that you could use and change. So I've also seen you do some Braille drawings. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how that works? Well, um, Braille drawings, um, I've done things that are tactile. I try to find different ways in order to raise a line so that somebody who can't see or has difficulty seeing can feel it. But then there's, you know, looking at, at doing something like Braille graffiti which is, you know, still something that's sort of percolating in my head, but it's my idea these days is inclusivity. What it all comes from is I don't want to be different. I do things a little bit differently, but I don't want to be different. Nobody wants to be different. We all want to be equal in everyone's eyes. And so I would like to see art being something that anyone can enjoy. It's both, it's tactile, it's visual, it's, it's textural, it's auditory. It's, it's olfactory. I want it to be something that anybody can enjoy. And that's what I'm working towards right now. So in an ideal world, Sue, what would you say, how would Braille play a part? <laughs> uh, seamlessly would probably be the one word I would describe it. I don't want it to be different. I want to have the same rights as anybody else. I want to be able to carry out my life. So I mean, for me, Braille has been the savior of my life. I can read. I can hear that voice in my head that you don't get when you're listening to a book. It just isn't the same experience. The same way a sighted person gets that when they're reading a book, when they're reading something. They have their own personal editor inside their head. It's a a different experience. I don't want it to be something special. Oh, let's give her Braille so that she can do something like that. She doesn't need to, but we'll, we'll give it to her. No, I just, I would like this to be World Literacy Day, not World Braille Day. 
would like it to be something that is a given. We are all the same. We all have different ways of doing things, but we all come out the other side as a whole person. So much like the same way in Canada, we have English and French on all our products. You would like us to have English, French, and Braille version on everything. That's really asking a lot, isn't it? Is it? Uh, well, in some respects, I think it's asking a lot. Uh, when we look at the, the English francophone thing, it's not French on everything. And it's, I mean, I would love to be able to have Braille and print. Mm -hmm. I would really love to be able to have that on everything so that everyone can have a choice of how they're going to do it. You were telling me a story earlier about a friend who was traveling. That's right. Um, a friend of mine traveled to Portugal for uh, vacation, and it just turned out she ended up getting a, an infection and having to go to the pharmacy and getting some medications. And the amazing thing was is that she's not visually impaired. She didn't ask for this, but automatically she got this pill bottle that had both print and Braille on it. And it turned out that they do that automatically with everything. Anything you, you go and you purchase that's important, they make sure that it has the Braille and the print on it so that there are no mistakes. So it's really nice to be able to know that I can get my medication and not worry about if I'm getting the script right or if the medication is right, I can read it myself. So if they're able to do that in some place like Portugal, why do you think that's not happening in Canada? There's so many fish to fry. Okay, well, we are Canadian, yes. Well, yeah. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I think that in this day and age, there are so many different pressures of where they're putting their money and what they're actually looking at, the demographics of, of society. And I think that it's getting better, but still the disabled in general, blind specifically, are, are just... They're only starting to come into their own, and that's because they're fighting for it. And our voices just aren't loud enough yet. Not yet. Not yet. Yet being the operative word. That's right. Would you say that you see yourself as a Braille ambassador? Yes. I actually would. Um, it's, a, it's a great way of actually identifying myself. I love Braille. Braille gave me my brain. It literally saved my life. I, I'm not overexpanding on that. I've... I think it's the most beautiful thing on earth to be able to touch a page and have the words touch you back, to be able to be given autonomy. I mean, it's like, it's like being a teenager and getting your driver's license. It's like a rite of passage. And for me, Braille was a rite of passage to the rest of my life. It opened up my world. And you heard it all here on Because of Braille. So, so if I were to ask you to finish the statement, because Braille, my life is much more interesting. Okay. And if I were to say to you, what is your favorite Braille device? Aside from my finger, uh, it would have to be my Perkins Brailler. Why? Because I love to express myself. And being able to write whatever I want when I want to, it's fun. And I love the sound of it. I love the feel of it. I used to love my typewriter. There's something satisfactory about that clinking sound when you push down and release. This is true. <laughs> okay. And there's also like the little ding at the end of the sentence oh, yeah. when you finished a page or finished a line. It's like somebody clapping. <laughs> 
So when we talk about Braille, I know for me, Braille is a tactile, obviously for all of us, it's a very tactile event. Do you have a favorite Braille symbol or character? <laughs> a favorite one? Actually, it would probably be the dot for capital. Okay. It's the, because it's the beginning. Okay. I know when I was learning to read Braille, I don't know how sighted people read Braille or learn to, uh, how sighted people learn to read. I shouldn't say how they read Braille, but how they learn to read. I was learning to read Braille in some capacity by the shape of the word. And I liked the way the word sweater felt or mm-hmm. squirrel. So I kind of like the S attached to the, to the next letter. It mm-hmm. sort of had a certain, I don't know, familiarity or mm-hmm. whatever. And I remember being about seven before I actually saw my name in Braille and just sort of feeling that and, and reading it and going, that's my name. That's who I am. That is the same way that, you know, children see their name. So having talked a little bit about children, what do you think when you hear people say, technology is so advanced now, we don't need to be teaching children how to read Braille because the technology is out there. They can hear it. They can use voiceover. They can listen to audio books. How does that make you feel? Uh, (laughs) I'm frustrated to no end. What I very quickly learned, first of all, I tried listening to books. They put me to sleep. Uh, I tried very hard to get used to it. Uh, It just didn't work for me. It didn't feel right. But the other thing is, is that what I have always found is listening does not tell you how to punctuate a word, doesn't tell you how to spell a word. And most of the people I know who have been primarily using um, their learning method has been listening to audiobooks, uh, couldn't put a sentence together if their life depended on it. Well, they couldn't punctuate it or spell it. If you gave them a simple word to spell, they would try to spell it phonically because that's what they know is by sound, mm-hmm. not by a number of connections that... that Sighted kids go through by seeing a picture and, and learning that this letter goes with a number of other words. There's all these connections that a sighted kid learns that if we gave it to a blind child, they would only understand this is what it sounds like. And for a child learning English, that's very confusing because we have a number of words that sound exactly the same. So so you disagree with that statement that oh, children... God. yes. Okay, so what about the idea that only people who know Braille should be teaching children Braille? Well, I would say that somebody who has not gone through, quote-unquote, a course or whatever to actually be taught how to learn Braille and how Braille is put together, no, they can't, they can't really teach it to somebody else. Kind of hard to do. Okay, so if you have a three-year-old child and you're sitting there for the children's book, Mm-hmm. And you show that sighted child a word. Mm-hmm. Is it any different in how children learn Braille? Like if I if I know that the sentence is the big red dog mm-hmm. and I put the child's hand on that and it says the big red dog, is that really teaching any different than if I'm teaching a sighted child to read with their eyes? A little bit because um, there's probably a picture of that big red dog there, which the, the blind child is not going to see. So they don't actually connect the dog up to the picture of the red dog or the image of the red dog. Okay. So, so actually, um, what I would think is that a little bit more 
foundation has to go into teaching a child Braille than it does into print because you don't have um, the benefit of having the sight unless you can use tactile pictures in which they can actually feel what something is and make that connection, and which is great because they're trying to read tactile. They need to be able to feel something with their tactile senses. Okay, fair enough. Mm-hmm. And so... So I want to thank you very much for coming into the studio and chatting with us today, but I do have one more question for you. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> How are you going to celebrate World Braille Day in January 2020? Hmm. Well, it all depends if my friends are doing something really entertaining, but my plans at this particular moment in time is to go down to Ashbridge's Bay and uh, get down on that beach, and it doesn't matter if the beach is clear or covered in snow, do a huge Braille message to the world. And how will you make that show up? Well, I'm either, if it's snow, I'm going to find a way to dye that snow. Um, I'll use bowls to make the dots for the Braille, and I will dye that snow so that it is black on white. If it's beach, I can do the same thing. I can put flour or something over the sand so it stands out more. So you'd be making like little sand castles that would exactly. show up like Braille? Exactly. Ah. It would still be tactile if you were the Jolly Green Giant. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. If not, we just have to hope that a helicopter goes by and then you'd end up with (laughs) Simbrail. Okay. Thank you so very much, Sue, for joining us today in the studio. And thank you all for joining us to listen to Because Braille. For more CNIB Foundation podcasts, visit cnib.ca slash podcasts.